This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And Sam and I are welcoming you to week four of He Gave Us Stories, which is our message series based on the parables of Jesus. And this week we come to, uh, it's a it's a twofer deal, but they're very short, so it's not going to be, as, you know, don't, don't have to worry about it, it's not going to be another two-hour episode. <laughs> but it is a twofer. There's two parables here. There's the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value, which are always expressed together, even though they are you know, two different parables mm-hmm. uh, found in Matthew chapter 13. Um, I've heard these taught a lot of different ways, um, but the I think that the common approach to these two parables is it's talking about the value of the kingdom of heaven. I think that a lot of times we get really caught up in the manner in which it's discovered. You got the guy right. who's out, he's out working in a field and whoop, so Daisy, here you go. And you have somebody else who's out looking for it. But I think that if it's not really the fact that there, it's found in different ways, it's the point that Jesus is making in these two parables, I believe, is the kingdom of heaven is immensely valuable. It's worth mm-hmm. more than everything else that you have put together. Yeah, totally. This is definitely not a a lecture on business ethics or you know yeah. anything like that um he, he's and that's absolutely what he's doing and the the conclusion for both of the parables is going to be the same that you if you really understood how precious and valuable the offer of the kingdom of heaven is you would do anything and everything to grab hold of it so I know that uh, folks, hey, bear with me. I'm going to read through both parables now, and this may take a minute. So let's just get through it here. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, three verses. But uh, so, you know, it's described to us uh, in two different ways. It's just the kingdom of heaven, it says, is like treasure. You know, when he's talking about the pearls, it's like, you know, there's there's pearls, and then there's a pearl of great value. So there's some similarities, but yet some differences. Mm-hmm. Um do you think there's any significance to the fact that one of them is found in a field and one of them is found amidst other pearls? Is there is there some you know word picture here that that is important? Yeah, so I mean the one if it's hidden in a field, you know the person kind of stumbles across it cuz you're not like walking over grass in a field thinking I bet there's treasure here. You yeah, know? yeah. It's kind of random. Whereas the pearls, you know, when we think of somebody finding pearls, we tend to envision an oyster or a clam. But this is a merchant, so it's like he's going to other people that have already pulled the pearls out, and he's examining them. And it's it's very intentional. Where one is kind of haphazardly discovered, 
The other one is very intentionally discovered. He's going through markets all over the world looking for the best pearl. That's right. He's looking for a pearl of great value. Right. How I've always looked at this is that in the first case, the man who's uh, a man comes across this treasure in a field. I've always sort of assumed that it was a workman, somebody out there plowing the field or, mm-hmm. or working in a field for one reason or another. We know that it wasn't his field, um, but. As you say, he wasn't looking for treasure. He was doing something else, and in the process of that, he comes across this treasure. Um, to me, yeah, that's the only way it makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I had never heard it taught in a, in a way different than when you and I and and then Tom when we sort of checked with each other as to how we saw this. All three of us agreed that the treasure was the kingdom of heaven and that th- that it was the treasure um, mm-hmm. and that the man was us in some respect. Mm-hmm. We, you know, okay. Um, and that's the way I've always heard it. It's what it's the way that I believe it's that Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is yeah. saying. But when I never I, even heard a competing version. I didn't either until I started reading. You know, like I normally when I'm studying, I go through a variety of commentaries, sort of broadly evangelical. I mean, I don't, I don't like. You know, let's see what the Satanists think this passage means. <laughs> But I'm not, you know, I don't keep myself solely to reformed authors. I'll read D.A. Carson, for example, who's broadly evangelical. He's not, but not necessarily reformed. Um, you know, I like William he's McDonald. Reformed. Well, but he's not, he's reformed in certain aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say he's a Presbyterian. Like, I wouldn't say that he's covenantal in all of his views of Scripture. Um, and... But like William McDonald and Arthur Farstad, who wrote Believer's Bible Commentary, I happen to think that's a great one-volume commentary until it gets into talking about dispensations and stuff like that, because that's where their their very heavy dispensationalist Baptist roots come in. And but I think that there's tremendous mm-hmm. uh, you know things in there. So I read a, a group of different commentaries, and they and there were a number of them that were saying that the man in both cases was Jesus and that mm-hmm. the treasure was us the church that Jesus was out in search of us that he paid he paid a great price his life uh to purchase us and as we as you and I were kind of talking about that I was like that doesn't really make much sense because <laughs> First of all, this idea that Jesus would stumble across us and not know who we were. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the kingdom. You know, oh, look, these people that I – I should die for these people here. I should redeem them. I, I right. You look like you're in need of redemption. Good thing I was passing <laughs> by. You know, that kind of thing. So – and then hiding it again. What's that about? Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me that way. But mm-hmm. that was. But I was surprised that not one, not two, but a, a several different, uh, you know, had that view. And uh, Tom recommended to me the book that he's using as sort of a source book on these different um, parables. And when I went in and looked at that, and oh, good grief, I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name already. Um, Snodgrass was his name. Yeah, yeah, Snodgrass. What a name. Yeah, isn't that true? It's a uh, stories with intent. Klein Snodgrass, and it's it's actually it's brilliant. It's very very well written. And so when I went in and read his uh, 
this content on this parable, he actually pointed out some teach this and named uh, he he picked he named Doctor Walverd, who was the uh, guy from Dallas Theological Seminary, as being a proponent of that particular interpretation of it. And then he sort of dismissed it and took it apart a little bit. And um, but it was interesting to me that this that these parables are interpreted as anything other than you and I, meaning you know regular folk here. In our encounter, our discovery, our coming across the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about that when I first heard it. I was like, I've never heard that. And you're like, you're panicky if I misunderstood this this whole time. But one of the things that I really love about that is when you go and you look at it. And part of the reason why – I'll just say part of the reason why they want to interpret this is the parable gives the sense that you know he sold everything he had in order to buy this treasure, Right. And so if you understand the gospel, we, we can't buy the kingdom, but right. Jesus did purchase it. And so they think, well, this must be Jesus because he's the one who paid and gave everything that he had to, to purchase this kingdom for us. So right. what's amazing is the fact that you have these two interpretations and both of them in some sense I, – you know, I, I obviously favor ours um, – but – it's interesting that you could make the case that, my goodness, our God gave everything. You mm-hmm. know, he left the kingdom. He came into the world as a homeless man. He he set aside everything he had to purchase us. And so then the meaning of the parable, I think, is, you know, we should do likewise. We should be willing to lay down our lives in everything that we are and have in order to grab hold of the kingdom of heaven. It's that valuable. Right. Um, but it's mutual. Our God does this for us before he calls us to do it for him. You know, and I think it's interesting because we just talked about this in our last episode, and I think we might have talked about it even the week before that as well. Uh, but I know for sure we talked about it in our last episode um, because you were recounting a saying from a former pastor of yours, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that – you pointed out that that applies as you are becoming a Christian, but it also applies to your life after that, that this mm-hmm. idea that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, the trick is we have to become nothing. Well, how do we become nothing? The step one to becoming nothing is to be willing to give up everything. And I think that that's what Jesus is getting at here, is that Mm -hmm. if you see the kingdom of heaven for what it is, if you understand how valuable it is, you will be willing to set aside everything else for Mm -hmm. the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's, you know, and, and he may not call upon you to give up everything, but whatever you are called upon to give up, it should be a no brainer. It should Mm -hmm. be an easy thing. Yeah, we we tend to reduce this when we read it because he's talking about in financial terms, you know, right, it's tr- right. treasure, right. and so then you go and sell everything you have to buy the field. It's all financial terms, but in the parable, it basically means everything you have and everything you are, you're willing to give up for the sake of becoming a part of his kingdom, you know, being grafted into his kingdom. And so that's not just what you own. It's not just your wealth. It's not your career, just all that stuff, but it's also – you're you're admit you're 
you're surrendering to his authority on truth. You know, I was listening to somebody who was preaching a sermon related to this passage, and he was saying, you know, how many of us, when we come to the scriptures, will say things like, you know, I I totally agree with ninety nine point five percent of the scriptures, but there's two verses, or there's this story, right. or whatever. Where I just look at God and go, I don't like that. I disagree. I refuse to submit or be accountable to that truth. And what he's saying is, is you haven't sold it all. You haven't sold it all. You're right. you're still in control. You haven't said, I'm willing to let go of everything, even my own agenda and my own beliefs, to surrender to the truth that God has declared. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's comprehensive. It's not just your stuff. It is how you live your life, your mission, your agenda – Everything, what you believe, what you what you salute to in life, all of it, you got to sell all of it and surrender wholeheartedly to him for his kingdom. Right. And I know that the that the people um, maybe who are in that other interpretation camp become nervous when we talk about it in that mm-hmm. way. And they say, well, that sounds like you're talking about salvation by works, that you're saved because you give up everything. And we're not saying that at all. Their salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, it is sola fide. You know, it's like that's faith alone. You know, we, we don't have we're not adding anything to that. The, the work of Christ on the cross was complete. He doesn't need our help. There's no sense in which he got, you know, he just needs a, he's not checking out at the store and he needs a nickel to, to avoid getting a bunch of change back. He doesn't need our help in any respect. He's paid for it all. It's, it's, he's purchased it with his own blood. Um, so we're not suggesting that right. there's anything that we're contributing to this process, but what we are saying is that if we perceive correctly the value of what we've been given, that we should be willing, that everything else should take second place or a dist- and a distant second place. Um, and I think that that's speaking, I mean, I'm just going to say it, because it is talking about financial transactions here, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's speaking to a consumerist mindset, which if there's nothing that talks to 21st century Americans <laughs> more than a consumer, the, Jesus is talking to people who have this sort of consumer mindset and he's like you know you guys are out there purchasing and acquiring things if you knew how valuable the kingdom was mm-hmm. you would you would take that over everything else and i think that we like to you know we we're very additive in our success like okay so <clears throat> i'm going to i'm going to take your fitness program and improve myself and i'm going to take your mental health program and improve myself and i'm going to take your definition of what it means to be successful and i'm going to improve mm-hmm. myself oh yes and over here i've got the jesus thing and i'm going to take his definition of what it means to be a good person and improve myself with that and that's not at all how christianity is it's mm-hmm. it's not one more thing to be added to sam's toolbox of how sam improves himself it you know it's dominating and if you were to take these two things so let's let's pre- pretend like you're looking at craigslist yeah. you know, for a moment. <laughs> spiritual craigslist and on one hand it said you know here's the kingdom of heaven and it gave a description of what it is that you're getting when you receive the kingdom of heaven well, you're going you're gonna to see things like ever-increasing glory, perfect peace, unyielding joy. You're going to see things like infinite. You're going to see eternal. You're going to see never 
fades, never perishes, will not go away. Okay, now let's put let there's there's that ad on Craigslist, and you look right next door, and it says everything that you own. (laughs) And underneath that description, you find perishing, fading, Mm -hmm. unfulfilling. You know, it's ultimately going to rot and pass away. And so you'd be a fool not to to trade everything you have to gain something like the kingdom of heaven. And so when you're talking about this sounds like works, well, I want you – I was trying to think of, a, of an illustration. So this is going to be imperfect. An illustration. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We, it always is. When we think of stuff, we – you know, it's, yeah, yeah. But imagine you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and there is no land for, you know, hundreds of miles and – your boat catches fire, and everything in it is is going. Everything is perishing. Everything's turning to ash. And then all of a sudden, you see this luxury cruise liner, this mega yacht or something, and it comes up next to you. And Jesus, you know, the, the, the illustrations, metaphor, Jesus, looks and says, come on board, but you have to leave and, and say goodbye to everything. You know, that's more in this analogy. It's not that you're like upgrading something that's really good to join the kingdom of heaven. You're leaving a life that is in shambles to grab hold of it. You're leaving a life that's temporal, a a grave that you can't defeat. And so when Jesus comes and he says, hey, I have this treasure, now leave everything, sell everything and come join me, what he's asking you to leave, we already know is perishing. Right. And he's asking us to join something that's that's unshakable, imperishable. It's it's not corruptible. Um, and so, when you realize, when you put them in their proper context, the kingdom of heaven next to everything you have, you'd be a fool not to sell everything you have to gain that. Right. Leave your burning ship. Get aboard the rescue liner. Um, because everything you have is perishing. It reminds me of the the famous line. Um, from Jim Elliott, who is a Wheaton grad. My wife's a Wheaton grad, so she loves this guy. But Jim Elliott was a missionary down to South America to a tribe, and he ended up giving his life uh, to preach the gospel there. To the Waodani, yep. Yeah, but he wrote in his journal a line that I absolutely love, and it's like if you could just – it summarizes this parable, which I absolutely love. And he says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Right. Um, so to grab hold of the kingdom of heaven, you're gaining something you can't lose by giving up something you can't possibly keep anyway. Right. You know, it makes me think about, uh, there's, it calls to mind several other verses immediately, but none probably more so in my head here than, um, Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 21, which is where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the point that Jesus was making is that everything that you do for yourself here, all the wealth and security and possessions that you accrue for yourself in this world eventually will become the property of someone else. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's how it works. I want my property to become the property of my children, mm-hmm. of my descendants after I'm gone. I'm I'm fine with that. But this idea is that it will eventually 
perish or become somebody else's property. The only things that, that you do that will be yours forever is, is what you invest into that heavenly kingdom where nothing ever rusts, nothing ever breaks down. No one steals it. It's there for all eternity. Um, I can't imagine, and I think that the eternal nature of it is, is something where people struggle with that. I mean, if, if, you know, when you ask somebody to think about things in terms of eternity, that's very difficult for, for me to do because I can, you know, I've lived inside this box that is the linear progression of time. <laughs> One minute follows another. And everything has a beginning and a middle and an end in my experience. And this idea that there is something there, that there's a, that there is a world, an existence, a reality that Mm -hmm. has always been and will always be. And I can now be part of that. Mm -hmm. That's a bit mind bending, you know, or mind expanding, maybe. And so what we're called to do is to bring glimpses of that down into this, this world. You know, that you want to, we want to expand the kingdom of heaven, the eternal, the infinite, the place where everything is according to God's design. And in whatever ways that we have in this life, we want to bring it down. And it's like, you know, Jesus says that even now as believers, this is where our citizenship is. We are already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We, you know, this is, this is our home. This is our identity. This is our number one allegiance. And, you know, it's, when you go through this world, you know, you and I have talked about this before, all of the setbacks, all of the things that we can't control, all the things that go wrong, whether it's sickness or people falling into, you know, slavery of addictions or, or whatever, all of these things would be really, really difficult. I would be led to despair if I didn't have some other citizenship, some hope that things do improve because this world can be really, really broken and sad. And so these are these are treasures that we have not just when we die. That's not necessarily what this – we do when we die. We'll have these treasures. But these are treasures that are available to us now. Right. You know, it's intimacy with God. That is the great – that is the greatest treasure of heaven is union and intimacy with God now. We have that treasure available to us in Christ. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that um – this idea of the present reality of the kingdom of heaven in us is something that, you know, I, I understand that that we struggle with that at times to understand that and to live in harmony with that because the fact is that we look in the mirror every day and we see what is what is this reality of ourselves in this world, mm-hmm. um, and those two things don't match up. Um, and one of the things that uh, I think is kind of hard for people to understand is that there's no it's not a mistake when when you are called a saint when you are called the beloved of God when you when you are told that you are perfectly righteous in Christ there's no you know well of course I'm not perfectly righteous what I did just 5 minutes ago took care of that illusion <laughs> you know that kind of thing but there you know we have can I say maybe this is a one foot in each camp? I mean, we've, you know, yes, we still live and exist in this world because we're mm-hmm. still in these bodies, but we also exist in another world at the same time. And it's, you know, and there are, and I think that our, 
goal while we're here is to try to narrow that gap. You know, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I had um, astigmatism, which was caused by weak focusing muscles in your eye. And in the 1960s and 70s, what they did for that, I'm sure there's a much more high-tech treatment now that involves nanobots and Bill Gates and vaccines and whatever. (laughs) I don't know. There's something I'm sure that can fix this. But back then, what they used to do was they gave us this, what they called a stereotactic vision thing, where I would have a piece of metal that you put a card at the other end that had the same image on two parts of the card. And then you would look from one end through this lens to the other end, and you would see the two images. And what you were supposed to do was basically cross your eyes. You know, you were supposed to concentrate and try to bring those two images together until you saw just one image perfectly overlaying the two of them. And when you forced your eyes to do that, you were strengthening these muscles in your eyes that would that would help you with your astigmatism. And I'm sure now there's people listening going, that's barbaric. Why you just did it <laughs> but that's what happened to me when I was a kid. And it, it I think it was pretty clever. It, it it you know, it was the way that an optometrist treated that that condition. My point is that that I was looking at two distinct images and I was concentrating as hard as I could and and really pushing my eyes to bring the two of them as close as I could together. And I think that that's what I'm really needed to, to do in this reality, which is, yeah, I'm here. And there's also me that's there. We're seated right now in the heavenly places. He says, Paul tells us that in Ephesians. That's our reality also. And what I'm trying to do is to bring those two pictures as close together as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, since I can't do anything to diminish the eternal one, what I'm trying to do is to elevate this present one as close as I can to that. It will never get there until mm-hmm. I die and drop off this baggage. Um, but the fact is that that's my goal. My goal is to make the me here look as much like the me there as I possibly can. Yeah. One of the th- one of the things about this parable, which the first one we're talking about the hidden treasures, one verse, it's verse 44, but it talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field and you know, he's uh, he begins he, this parable which is going to compare, you know, this eternal kingdom that's so much greater than this temporal life we have. But even the way that he sets up the parable, it's like treasure hidden in a field. Well, how does that treasure end up in a field? And it's reminding the hearers, you know, this is actually starting as a fairly tragic tale because back in the ancient world, if you came across and you earned a great fortune, you know, you didn't go down and you didn't put it in a bank or a mutual fund or your IRA. They, they didn't exist. <laughs> they yeah. didn't exist, yeah. right? So so what you did is you picked a place on your land that you would remember where it was and you hid it and you would bury it down into the ground. And then what would often happen is you go about your life and you get run over by a donkey and killed or you get called out to war or whatever and you're unexpectedly dead. And now all this treasure that you've amassed in your life is hidden in a field and no one knows it's there. And so that's the first part of the parable is it's it's like he's almost reminding them that all the stuff that you're going to build up that you bury out in the field, it's going to be left to someone else. You're going to lose it and death is going to claim you because the man who finds it it's not like he's stealing it from the person who hid it. it. This is forgotten about treasure. Nobody knows that it's there. If they, if the owner knew that it was there, he would never have sold it, right? Right. He'd never sell the field. <clears throat> so this is this is 
treasure that's left by somebody who died after they planted this treasure there, right. which you know can make us think of one of two different directions if you wanted to tease the parable out. One, it's reminding us at the beginning of the mortality of trying to build up treasures in this world right. because we will all leave them buried in a field somewhere at That's the end the of the Matthew day. That's the Matthew 6 passage, moth yep, and rust. It's, yeah. it's all going to go away. Or you could say that somebody who's come before us and has given his life and died and left behind a treasure for us to find. And if you really tease out the parable, okay, well, then Jesus is the one who died and left the treasure for us. Right. Um, but either way, it's pointing to – it's just reminding us the futility of trying to find your purpose in this life. It, it's pointing us to Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. It's – if you try to find meaning and purpose and value in this world, you know the grave is going to swallow it all up. Sure. You know, I've always believed, too, that um, – when we go to hide something, right, that there are two ways you hide something. The first is I hide something to prevent somebody else from finding it. I don't want it to be stolen. This is the guy who's burying the treasure for himself, to keep it for himself. The other way that I hide something is I hide it in a place where the person that I want to have it is going to come across it. Um, this is the This is the one where you... You know, you put the engagement ring into the jello mold or something like that and, <laughs> and you serve it. At, you know, you, you, you hide something for somebody in where you know that they're going to be the one that comes across it. And, mm-hmm. and so well, why do you do that? Well, you do that so that they will be, so that they will experience the joy of discovering it and that mm-hmm. they will be, and, but it's, I'm putting it somewhere where, you know, the kids don't know where it is, but my wife will find it, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've always sort of imagined this, is that this treasure, which was bought by Jesus, was put there. He buried it there so that we, his intended, could find it. I've always looked at it that way, being a, that's cool. being a good Calvinist. Um, I've believed that, I believe that Jesus buried it in the field where he knew I would be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and from and that's, our perspective, it looks haphazard. It looks yes. like we stumbled across it. Yep. It looks accidental, but he knew exactly where we would be. Right. And he put it there for us so that we would have the joy of discovery. I think one of the most important parts of this this first parable is it says, okay, he comes across the treasure hidden in the field. He gets he gets a look at it. He gets to see, oh, my goodness, look at this. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's really valuable. It's really precious. And then it says, in his joy, he doesn't own it, Right. But it says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So he's already rejoicing before he gives away anything he has. And so he has an experience with this treasure that makes him delighted to give away everything that he has. Notice it's not the reverse. It's not you know him selling off all of his stuff so that he gets the treasure, and then he's rejoicing. The way of salvation, you know, it's – it's not all right. I'll take this Jesus and I'll live the Christian life, and then I'll you know I'll get all the blessings of heaven, and then I'll be happy. You know that's when you see Jesus, when you see what He offers, when you see the treasure that's available to us, it moves your heart to where you gladly walk away from everything else that held your loyalties, so that you can grab hold of Him. You're doing it with joy. This isn't all right. Now pay up. You know, this is, oh my gosh, I can have that. It's why Paul, when he talks, you know, in Philippians about everything that he's gained in Christ, he doesn't say, man, I had to give up so much. Right. You know, it's, it's 
overjoyed that he's got this treasure that God has given to him, and he's gladly walked away from every other treasure he had, and he counts it all rubbish. Right. You know? Right. That's the idea behind this. The joy comes before you are transformed. It comes when you see the treasure, when you behold Christ and all that he offers you, you know, that's when the joy comes. And then in response to what you know is already yours, you're glad to walk away from every other lesser thing. And this thing of using the dramatic comparative language, um, it's not unique to these parables. Jesus does that elsewhere too. Um, He is... At one point in Luke chapter 14, there's these crowds have begun to follow him. Like, we're going to follow you. You know, you're, wherever you go, we're going. And it says that, uh, that Jesus turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus doesn't mean we're supposed to hate our parents Mm -hmm. or our wives or our children. But what Jesus is doing with that comparative language is saying, this is the dedication it takes to come after me. You need to be, everything else needs to be secondary to your devotion to following me. To bear his own cross, that means to die to everything that you are, to be willing to give up everything that you are, in order to follow him. Does that mean that you have to be mean to your children and your wife and your parent? No, <laughs> no, not at all. He's not saying that. So in this case, when he's talking about this treasure that's intensely valuable and they sell all that they have and they buy the field, is Jesus saying that before you can become a Christian, you've got to liquidate all of your assets and give them to the church? No. He's not saying that. He's talking about recognizing the relative value of the kingdom of heaven against everything else in your life. And in, and, and in this passage in Luke, he's talking about the level of devotion you should have. Your devotion to him, to following him, should be so great that when people look at it, even the great love that you naturally have for your parents and your wife and your children and your brothers and sisters and yourself— looks like hate by comparison. That's what he's saying. By comparison, this love you have for your earthly siblings and spouse and parents should look like hate. How much more you should love me to follow me. Um, And so I just feel like that, you know, people can get hung up, I think, at times about language that has this sort of, you know, totality. It's like the the totality of it. You're all in. And I think that Jesus was telling us that on purpose. He wants us to know Mm -hmm. that we have to be all in. Um, But it doesn't mean that he is saying to you, this is the, this is the bar to, to follow me, which is you've got to give up every, you know, if you come to me with any, if there's any money left in your bank account, you can't, you know, no, that's not what he's saying. Um, But the thing that determines is not, it's not whether or not you sell all your stuff. Like that's that's not the starting point. Right. It's the 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 question you're asking is how precious is he? Right. Um so so uh, there's there's two stories that come right one after another also in Luke, but Luke chapter 18 and then chapter 19. And in the first one, Jesus comes across this rich young ruler and he's he comes to Jesus and he says, "Good teacher, now we're now we might get into 2 hours." <laughs> but 
the ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so here you have a guy who's who's got you know power, he's got money, he's considered to be a moral guy, like he can honestly say that he feels like he's keeping the commandments and all this right. stuff, and yet there's something deficient in him to where he's seeking more. There's something empty in him. So he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lays down you know, some of the commandments of how we're supposed to treat each other, and he's like, all right, well, I've got all that. And Jesus then comes back and says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. There's the treasure in heaven again. Come and follow me. And it said, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And then Jesus said, man, you know, seeing that he was sad, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? It's because at the end of the day, this rich young ruler who felt empty, his wealth wasn't satisfying him, his morality wasn't satisfying him, his power wasn't satisfying, he's coming to Jesus saying, something's not right, I need more, and maybe you can help me. And Jesus says, you need to give away everything you have. And Jesus, this was a diagnostic thing. This isn't how you get into heaven. It's not that you have to sell everything to come. But at the end of the day, when when the scales were put in front of this guy, the rich young ruler said, everything I have I see as more valuable than you, Jesus, and I just can't let go. In other words, I think everything I own is more valuable than the treasure I see in the field, and I'm not going to sell it. And he goes away sad and empty and, and feeling the same way he did when he came to Jesus. But you get to the next chapter, the famous story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And here's Zacchaeus, this hated guy who's a tax collector who's ripped people off. He's he's he is not thinking that he's you know got he hasn't you know no esteem. The people hate him. He has ripped everybody off, and yet when he sees Jesus and Jesus says, "Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have dinner with you and your house today." What what does Zacchaeus do? Everybody's angry, you know, because they think Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with Zacchaeus because right. he's such a bad person. Right. But Zacchaeus is like, "What do you want me to give away? I'll restore everybody that I've ripped off. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give them even more than I owe them." It's like in that moment when Zacchaeus sees the true treasure of heaven, Jesus, and Jesus wants him. You know, he gives the same offer essentially that he gave to the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus sees everything in his life to that point as garbage in comparison to Jesus. And he says, oh my gosh, I'll, I'll give it all away. What do I have to do to grab hold of you? And you see two different attitudes, but the question is, is Jesus more precious to you than everything else? Are you willing to walk away from everything else that you have in this life? And it doesn't mean you have to, but is your heart so enamored and stunned and amazed by the grace that he offers, that you would do anything to grab hold of it. That's the heart of surrender. You know, and I think that you and I both will include that disclaimer. Doesn't mean you have to. Um, knowing that people are that there's 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 an objection that's being raised by people, and I almost at times I almost don't want to include the disclaimer. Like, yeah, give it all up, and. It's like it doesn't mean that you have to, and, and, and I and now I'm going to disclaimer, but it doesn't mean you have to give it away <laughs> to give it up. Um, that was the thing that um, I, I don't know if I've told the story before on the podcast, but um, years ago, going back some time now. Uh, well, first of all, we started coming to the church there um, to what is Rio today. It was Bethany back then. 
uh, as newlyweds in 1985. That's when we started coming to the church. And back then, uh, you know, I was working, she was in school, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And so we had, um, but we, we were, we understood that you gave, you, you know, that was part of it was giving, you give. So, um, we just had a dollar amount that we settled on that was the church check. Did you write the church check this week? Oh yeah, I did. I put, yeah, okay. Did you do the church check? Oh yeah, I'll do the church. So you, we had a dollar amount. We'd write the church check and we'd put that check in the offering plate when it would pass. And as the years spooled on, you know, our, our financial situation improved. She graduated from school, became a lawyer. They make money. Um, you know, I went on, you know, one business venture to another and into radio and into different things. And at times I made quite a lot of money also. And, you know, we had prospered as, as, you know, God was gracious and, and to us and, and so forth. And, um, but we never really revisited that church check. I mean, maybe we did a couple times. We made sure the church check was a little bit bigger, but we were really, it was just like a, like a token. It's like, you know, Hey, God, love you. Love you, God. Thank you, Lord. Good. For, you know, appreciate that whole dying on the cross thing. Here you go. And, um, but it was, it was sort of offhanded is what I'm trying to get at. That's the, that's the feeling I'm trying to share. And, uh, one day I was meeting with my accountant. Uh, back in those days, I had a business that I was running and business and personal finances being wanted to get them all done right. I always had a CPA do my taxes. So I'm meeting with a CPA. We're reviewing the, the tax for the business and the and personal. And she said to me, she said, um, oh, she said, uh, you know, your, uh, you know, your charitable contributions are are considerable. This is good. And I and of course, I was immediately filled with pride because I am. <laughs> I am a flawed human being, and I'm thinking, well, of course I'm generous. And she goes, you gave 2% of your income. She, oh. goes, she goes, that's a, that's the average in America. The average charitable don't giving in America, when you average us all together, some people give nothing, other people give quite a bit. But when you average it all together, it comes out to 2% of the average American's income is what they give to charity. And I thought to myself, well, obviously there were weeks that we weren't at church and we didn't catch up on the check and so forth. And so the next year, and this is all true story, the next year, I was very diligent to be sure of when we were, when we were not there, I made sure that I, you know, I got caught up on that check. I, <laughs> I made sure that we didn't miss a, a week, right? And, uh, at the meeting next year with my CPA, same CPA, I'm sitting in the same office. I'm, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to ask, but I'm like fidgeting on the other side of the desk. I want to hear her <laughs> tell me that I did good. What was my charitable giving this year? And she didn't bring it up as we, she was going through things. And I finally said, and, uh, the, the charitable thing. She goes, Oh, she goes, yes, that's much. She goes, you gave 4% this year. <laughs> Somebody needed to sit you down with pen and paper. Yes. Um, and so, and so, so then I went home and I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, the Lord asked us to give a tenth of the first fruits. That means not after taxes, not after the, the Lord is asking us to give a tenth of everything that comes in the door to show that we understand that everything that comes in the door belongs to Him. And so I sat down to figure out what that number was. And when I saw the number, I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's a big number. <clears throat> and um, and it didn't happen overnight. 
it took uh, it took about eighteen months actually, where I kept increasing the check each time. It's like I'd bump the check up, and it would be like, oh, that you know, over the course of a month, we felt that you know, belt was a little tight this month because we were spending way too much money in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the period of a year and a half, it actually took eighteen months. Uh, finally, my wife, my wife says to me, "What are you doing with it?" And I said, "Well, we weren't giving a tenth." We weren't given a tenth of the of the gross. We just weren't. And I said, and I really feel like I should do that because it's all God's money to start with. And we, and we shared that opinion. And when when we realized that that really genuinely was our opinion, which is everything we have is His to begin with. He gave it to us. He can use it as He wants to. Is is it changed it in my head because I started saying it's not my money. It's just not my money. I give I give this money back. It's not my money. And and since that time, not only have we maintained that giving a tenth of the first fruits, but we've also had opportunity to be generous in other things that have come up where, where individuals have needed money. We've given them money. When the church has had, when we did the mustard seed program, we mm-hmm. gave a very good donation to that. Um, we've done, you know, we've been generous above and beyond. But all of that begins, and I'm not saying that to say, oh, Mark, you give 10% of your income now, plus you give to other things. Aren't you a good person? What I'm hoping that you understand me saying is what flipped the switch in my mind was before I was giving God some of my money. Now it's all his money mm-hmm. in my mind. And so when I let that check go, it doesn't. It, I'm like, Lord, this is yours. You know, I'm giving it back to you. And and no strings attached. The church can use it however it wants. I'm not here to, to second guess everybody. I'm here to say, you've given me everything and you've told me to worship you by giving some of this back. And so that's what I'm doing. So what made all of that possible? What made it possible for us to be regular tithers plus generous givers on top of that? What changed was my attitude toward the money that my wife and I earn. We don't see that as being our money anymore and we Hmm. genuinely don't and that has been transformative and and now i'm going to sound like a prosperity gospel preacher forgive this (laughs) but since we made that choice and started giving more and giving to people like you know family members will come to us and ask to borrow money because they're in trouble and i will say to my wife i don't lend money to family members we give them the money instead here we'll help you we, we recognize you have a legitimate need. Your cars broke down. You need a new motor. You're going through uh, difficult circumstances. You need to hire a lawyer. You need some money. Whatever. We'll just give you the money. And we do that because it's not our money. And since mm-hmm. we started doing that, we've had more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, it's like we've, uh, we literally live – other than secured debt like our mortgages, which which are both very much in our favor because we've been paying on them for quite some time, I don't have any debt. I don't owe anybody any money anymore. Um, and all of that has been because my attitude toward money is different. Um, and, and my attitude toward possessions is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, that's and, cool, you know? And I think that comes from finding – like in your life, you grow – and how much you you love Jesus. I remember when I was going through seminary, not to make this a tithing episode, but when I was going through seminary, you know, I'm halfway through seminary and I'm not tithing. And I'm I'm, you know, the the church and the school where I work and attend 
are over the seminary, and I'm afraid they're going to look at the records and do they look at these things? Do they know how much I give? Do they know that I'm you know a hypocrite and all this other stuff? And so I'm I'm having a problem, and I go to Doctor Gage, my seminary professor, and I like I need to get this off my chest. Like I'm not tithing. I, I don't know how to figure this out. If I if I were to tie that, have to cut back on everything else, and you know I just can't. And da 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 da. And I had every excuse in the world. And he said to me, "He's like, well, with that attitude, you can choose one of two ways of sinning." And I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and he's like, "You know, either you can continue not doing something that God commands, and that's obviously you know sin, or you can give with a heart that is resentful." And God's not pleased by that either. So, you know, and so, and and hearing that, it, it really did make, you know, we talked about the whole reason why you give. And I mean, it's behind everything. I mean, I can go back. When I first became a believer, I was in a sexual relationship that I shouldn't have been. And I remember thinking, I can't break this off. Like, I can't stop. I would say to God, okay, this, this is never going to happen again, never going to happen again. I'm going to break it off. And then, you know, with the same same girl and would stumble and I would I would feel I would feel like I disappointed God and I would feel all right. the shame and all the guilt and like maybe my faith isn't real. And what ended up happening with all that was just, you know, he continually overwhelmed me with his kindness and mercy. Like I felt like you know, he didn't give up on me. He he made me new again. And eventually what and empowered me to to do the right thing in that situation was, you know what? Like I love him more than this. Mm-hmm. And and the same was true with tithing. Like eventually it became like – and a tithing, by the way, just since we're on that subject, it's a guard against our own heart the same way that Sabbath is because so many of us want to find our identity and what we own and how much we have. And it's like God says, I, I want you to give – a tenth to the work of the kingdom, not just for the work of the kingdom, but it's like guardrails on your heart. It proves that this idol isn't owning you. Uh, the same is true with the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath is even harder for me than the tithe, strangely enough, because I'm somebody that always wants to be working. I want to be producing something. I want to be teaching something. I want to be writing something. I want to right. be doing something to right. create. And God comes and says, no, one out of seven of those days, you need to set it aside and do nothing. Why? Well, the same reason for the tithe. You do not find your identity in money. So give away one-tenth. The same thing is true with time. Your your identity in the sight of God isn't what you produce. It's not what you work for. It's not whatever. And so God says, I want you – think about this. I want you to take one day where you do nothing but commune with me and enjoy yourself and rest, and I don't want you producing or working. Like think about God saying that to you. What he, what he's getting at is your identity is not in what you produce. It's not in what you own. So Give a portion of that away and show from a heart of worship, like I'm laying this down as an offering to you because you're more precious than all the other stuff. And I remember a conversation with my father-in-law where when I was probably in seminary and really starting to try to figure out things and feeling like, man, I keep doing bad things and struggling everywhere. And he said something to me that has stuck with me. And he says, your problem is not that you're not trying hard enough, because that was what I was after. Like, you know, I just I just need to do this. I keep stumbling. Why do I right. keep stumbling? Right. And he said to me, your problem's not that you're not trying hard enough. Your problem is that you're not loving enough. Hmm. And And he's like, so, you know, you don't need to try more. You need to love more. And what he meant was, like, dive into the word. Fig- like, look for the treasure. See what you have in Christ. And when you get to know him and how beautiful he is and his promises are, 
all the other stuff that's so hard to pull the death grip off of, all the other sins and selfishness and things that we hold on to in this world that keep us from growing, the more you see him for his beauty, the easier it is to let go of things that are right. of this world. Right. You know, you grab hold of the treasure that you found and you let go of everything else that you already have. Yeah. But it comes by seeing him and loving him more, not trying harder. Yeah. You know, and I and I moved us onto the topic of tithing and money because it's something that we can all relate to as far as measurement. It's like you know this thing of of do we get resentful? Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that is is often said about the realities of church and being a pastor and a teacher is that don't talk about money. Whenever you talk about money, people start getting upset. They get very tense when you start talking about money. Hint, hint. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the fact is that – I and, and again, I'm just telling you the truth – is that since we had that and, – and it actually – it all connected for me, uh, and I keep coming back to that series. It was Leverage Your Life that Tom preached. Um. I had never I, – I had been a Christian for, I don't know, uh, by that time. Let's see. How old was I? I'd probably been a Christian 15 years when I heard that message series. I'd gone to Bible college. I I'd, I'd, I was an elder at our church. Is that the one where he says you need to put yourself in, in the, the bag? And, in yeah. The, yes. Okay. But that whole series, everybody remembers the illustration. You know, you need to put <laughs> you need to put all you have in a bag, and then you need to put yourself in the bag and tie it up, and then hop yourself over to God. It's like, and he did the whole hopping thing on stage, and it all stuck with us. It was like a mm-hmm. very, but but I had always looked at it as God's got His stuff, I've got my stuff. And, and we work together. God and I are partners. We're, you know, it's like, and somehow, you know, this, I, I, I had my identity, my ownership, my claim on things. And that was the message series where it really sunk into me that he's given me something that's way beyond anything that I could ever give back to him. It's, it's like, it's like God has come to me and given me a Lamborghini and I've offered him a dime and a, a, a you know, a, a lollipop and some fuzz from my pocket in exchange. You know, it's like this, what he's given us is so much greater than anything that we can give back to him. And I don't care if you are Bill Gates and I don't mm-hmm. care if you've got billions of dollars. It's worth more than your billions of dollars. Um, and, and yet God has never asked me not to feed my, my children. God has never asked me not to pay my mortgage. Mm-hmm. He's never asked me any of those things. Um, but I'll tell you this. If I felt God's call that was like, you know what? It's, I need you to do this. You know, sell your house, mm-hmm. move. I think yep. I'd do it. I think I'd do it. You know, I, because I look at this house and I look at the, I look at what he's, what he's allowed me to have. And I recognize, honestly recognize that he's given these things to me, Uh, you know, and you're like, but Mark, you've earned that. You and your wife have worked and you've earned money. And I'm like, yeah. And who do you think has given us what we do? Like I work for a church, (laughs) you know, it's Uh like the, the work that I do now is work that God, you know, God's given me these gifts and talents and skills. And yes, I've honed them in years of business and consulting and writing and, and media and technology and all these different things. But 
that was like, you know, God was letting me sharpen the knives until we got to the point where I could use them for him. But those things are all, that's all, that's how he fashioned me, Sam. It's how he made me and also Tracy. It's how he made her. And, and then he's allowed us to have these jobs. He's put us in these positions. And when you start looking at everything that way, I don't know. It just becomes really, really easy to give some of it away. And and you you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about you're not your own like you you're all of it belongs to God that's true with money but it's also true with your time and with your labors and with your sexuality and with everything else there's nothing you know when when Paul is teaching on God's view of sexuality in 1 Corinthians 6 he closes out that section by saying you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Yeah. And so that idea of, you know, everything in my life needs to conform to him because it all belongs to him. I belong to him. And so whether it's God's designs for how I use my money, it's his. He has a design for it. I need to align myself with it. And you want to talk about people getting upset? Anytime I used to <laughs> I had a professor that would talk about if you want to know what people's idols are, look for worry and anger. And when you see worry and anger come up, you've touched one of their idols. And you hmm. talk to somebody about their money, they'll get angry. Well, guess what that reveals? Right. Don't mess with where I find my identity. This angers me. Or you talk to somebody about, you know, not having premarital sex. Oh, that's archaic. You know, da da. You know, they'll okay. Well, I just touched one of your idols. You yep. know, or you need to not work so hard, or you need to. And people will get angry. As a pastor, you come across these conversations. And what that reveals is that some area of their life where God says, I want that. And they're saying, no, it's mine. You can't have it. Well, then you're holding on to something rather than grabbing hold of the treasure. You know, and, and that is, and that's, that's not to shame you. No. You know, but it is to say, that he has bought you at such an immense price and you are entitled to a treasure that's so much greater than what you're clinging on to. Um, but the way that you get there is recognizing he is so much more valuable than this petty God that is enslaving me, that makes me find it, my identity in it, when it's it's so transient. I can't take it with me. It's it's just – it's not healthy. But I love that. You know, When you touched on that, you are not your own. Mm-hmm. Your money's not your own. Your sexuality's not your own. Your time's not your own. It all belongs to him. And he comes to you and says, trust me, I've got a design that will be so much richer for you, not only in heaven, but here and now. It will lead to blessing and fruitfulness if you will just come and resign yourself to live in my design. Yeah. And when we fight, man, it makes us crazy. And yeah. you find people that are just swallowed up with anxiety over possessions and every other kind of thing. And it's like, no, give it to him. Give it to him. I think that there's, you know, there's going to be two groups of people <laughs> who are listening to this podcast. There's going to be two reactions. There will be some people there who are nodding and agreeing with us and saying, yep, that's good. I understand that. Um, but I think there's going to be far more people who hear us talking about this and are going to be saying something like, well, that's easy for you. You don't have my bills <laughs> or that's easy for you. You're not and fill in the blank, that kind of thing. And the message that I really want to get across to them is you just heard Sam and I both say we've been there. You know, I've, I've been there. I've been in that situation. I know. And you're saying you have too. So. Mm-hmm. We've been in your spot where both of us thought 
whatever it is that, that God's asking us to give up. But if you feel, and that's the thing is I felt God asking me to give up. I knew, and I don't know how I knew. How do I, how do I put that in this, in words that make sense to people other than, I, it was everything that I saw in the Bible. It was what I heard my pastor saying, but it's how God's spirit was was talking to my spirit. It's like I knew within me, I knew this is what God wanted me to do. He mm-hmm. wanted me to change my attitude toward my stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it took effort, Sam, and it took time. <laughs> but the, it took time. But the reason that I was willing to put in the effort and put in the time was that I felt God pushing me saying, mm-hmm. you're going to be so much better off on the other side of this. And I'm going to tell you something. I am. I am. I feel the same. I'm so much happier looking at the stuff that I have thinking, it's not mine. (laughs) It's really not mine. You know? And someday he's going to let me leave this world and I'm going to have everything else that's mine and it's going to be so much better than this. And, and, and so my, my words to you friends who are thinking that's easy for you to say, it wasn't easy for me to say. And it took time and it took effort and it was hard, but there's a payoff at the end. And it all starts with recognizing how much the treasure is worth. Yeah. And there's, by the way, that, that's, that we're not finished products. I mean, I can remember with the sexuality and with money and a number of things, like I knew I was wrong. I knew God was entitled to something better than me and I couldn't give it. And what my father-in-law told me was absolutely true. The key to it wasn't saying, okay, well, maybe this month, maybe this time, maybe this date. You know, no, the key was not necessarily trying harder. The key to long-term victory was loving him more and, you know, yielding my life over to him. And in months, <laughs> you know, the yeah, these things got better. But right now, I, I'll tell you right now, one of the things that I'm struggling with is, you know, looking at – the the political nature of the world and wanting to control it and wanting yep. to get involved and getting angry over the things of the world and trying to figure out, okay, how do I surrender this? Because this is beginning to eat away. You want to talk about something that gets me angry, something that causes me worry. Okay, I've just revealed an idol yeah. <laughs> that I've got, and yes. it's a big one, and it's a powerful one, and it it steals peace from me. And so what I've got to do is say, okay, this is not my own. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be a responsible citizen. I'm going to do what I can, but I've got to recognize that there are things outside of my control, and I've got to trust in the sovereignty of God and yield it over to him without it destroying me from the inside out. You know, these things, and there will be something after this. There's always something that's coming and saying, you need to die to that. You need to die to that. And recognize you are not your own. This country is not yours. It's... It's it's surrendering and trusting him with the design that he's given, right? Rather than it devouring you. Yeah, I tell you, it is um, what we're talking about here, folks. Is freedom. It's yeah. free. It's it, you know, you may not feel like you're being controlled, but if you've got something that that makes you angry, that makes you worried every time you talk about it, every time you think about it, it's controlling you. And God's coming to you today and saying, "There is freedom for you. You can let that stuff go. There's freedom for you. You need to see the treasure you've been given, the kingdom of heaven, and then and you will find freedom in that. Mm-hmm. And it's like." What's the answer? There wasn't one answer. It was like it was a process of things. It was the word, and it was the teaching, and it was it was this God's spirit. You know, I'm working on my insides. It was all these things, and so 
if you're fighting against that, if you're like, I'm not going to sit and listen to my pastor talk about money. I'm not going to read that <laughs> Bible. You know, every time I feel like God urging me to do something, I'm going to get up and, and have a beer or whatever it is. I don't know. He's like, if you're going to fight against it, you know, mm-hmm. God's more patient than you are. It's not going to go away. <laughs> you yeah. can't get rid of it, you know. So. And he'll be there. Yeah. He will be there with open arms. He will. So I don't know. Did we actually talk about the parables enough? I, I feel like we did <laughs> before, but but that's the thing is that is that when you talk to me about the value of the kingdom of heaven and being and selling all that I have in order to to possess it to possess this treasure, for me the selling process was literally honestly putting it all in the bag and saying this bag belongs to you, God. Um, mm-hmm. And and I did that. I don't even remember when Leverage Your Life was, but I can tell you that's the day I did it. I remember the Sunday that I did it in church where I said to myself, it's all yours, God. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's all yours. It's in the bag. It's yours. We're going to make this happen. And, the, and I'll tell you one more funny story, and maybe we'll end on this. Um, Tracy and I were at church. It was that Sunday that I made that decision in my mind really honestly god it's all yours everything is yours and we came home and and my parents came down and met us for lunch they hadn't come down in time for church but they came out to our house and met us for lunch and mom and dad took me aside and they said your father was going to spend uh fifteen thousand dollars on a new car and uh and decided that he didn't need a new car and so he's taking the 15000 and dividing it between you three boys. And they handed me a check for $5,000. Here you go. Here's $5,000. That's just out of nowhere. Five grand in your hand. And the first thought in my mind was, that's $500 for God. That was the first thought in my mind. <laughs> first thought. I'm serious. First thought was, I get to give 500 of this to God. And I texted Tom, our pastor, and I told him this story. And Tom said an interesting thing back to me. He said, because I, I said, Tom, they had made this decision to give me this money before they knew I had made this decision to give it all back to God. It's like, <laughs> how did this? And Tom says, look, God knew. God knew that he could trust you with this. He knew that he could, you know, that, and, and so those wheels and, you know, my father deciding that he didn't need another car right now. And by the way, he'd never actually bought another car. He kept that car he had till he stopped driving now. Um, but that decision when set in motion before, and I'm looking at this like, huh. but I made my decision after that. God is working without the constraints of time. You know, he's working outside of time. And yeah, you know what? He did start that heading my way as an opportunity to show me something that I'd learned a lesson. Um, and see, that sounds arrogant. It sounds like a humble brag. I don't want it to be a humble brag, people. I'm not arrogant about this. I'm just telling you, with God as my witness, it is freeing to you. You will feel free the day you realize I am giving it all to you. It is all yours because I see what you've done for me. Mm-hmm. You know? Amen. So, anyway. <laughs> he, I don't know what else to say about those parables. <laughs> yeah. He's a treasure that's worth letting go of every other treasure. Yeah, to grab hold of. Yeah, you know. And and the amazing thing is, is is he has purchased us long before we were. You know, he didn't come and find the pearl of great value when you know. Here's oh look, Sam. He's amazing. I want him on my team. You know, yeah. he comes and and finds. Pretty messed up, broken people with yeah. hurts and scars and 
And he really does. Like he, he comes in long before he calls us to do the same. You know, your Savior who reigns in heaven, who hears your prayers and sees your tears and cries with you, like before he ever called you, he set aside everything to purchase you. Yeah. And so like when God calls us to give a tenth, he gave 100%. Right. You know, when God calls us to, to radical obedience, you won't find more radical obedience than he lived for us. You know, it's it's everything that he asks us to do, he's already gone ahead in front of us and done it for us. And now he can say, you're not your own. But there's something, like you said, freeing about that. It is. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're in his hand. He, You're his asset. He's not going to lose you. You're secure in that. So let go of all the other stuff that enslaves you in this world and just leaves you a pile of, of worry and anger. Um because he's so much more precious yeah. than anything else that compares, yeah. that tries to compare. You know, one final thought uh, for me, anyways. You, you're welcome to have a final thought if you like. But <laughs> I go um, for it. It helped me to understand. You know, Jesus. There was another place where Jesus was was said something that always seemed odd. Jesus said, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, you that are heavy laden." All you that are weary, come to me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I always used to ponder that and think, what does that mean? Does that mean God's not going to ask very much of me? What does that mean? What does it mean? I'm I'm weary. I'm heavy laden. Lord, I'm coming to you. Why is your burden easy? Why is your yoke light? And the answer to that is that if you come and perceive it rightly, whatever he asks me to do is not that big a deal. Because he's freed me from that burden that I'm carrying. He's freed me from that burden of being the center of my own world, of being the – it's like he's freed me from all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the purpose statement that you find in Galatians 5, right before he talks about all the, the fruit of the Spirit that comes. He, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's his purpose statement. He wants you to be free yeah. of the slavery that the idols will they'll clutch you and demand your entire life, and you'll struggle to find your significance in them. But for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't yes. bow to lesser masters. Yeah. And that is quite literally a good word. And I think that's the one that we'll end on. <laughs> Folks, thanks for joining us today. I hope that uh, I hope that our ranting and raving didn't sound too crazy. <laughs> I get I get a little passionate when I talk about this particular I subject like it. though. I get a little I like passionate, it. you know, because it's been the thing about you know, <clears throat> it has been the thing about my Christian life, Sam, that has changed the most dramatically. Was that was that that bridge that I crossed where I really honestly said, Lord, if, it, if it's just all yours. And, and since that time, it's been such a freeing thing when it comes to all of those things that used to make me worried and angry. Like you, I still have trouble with the news. <laughs> I, I still, you know, I, I do, but you know, I'm learning to give that up too. So, um, I hope, folks, that, that you have found this time profitable, that uh, you've enjoyed this, uh, enjoyed going through this with us. If you'd like to correspond with us, if you want to ask us a question, or if you just want to tell Sam how wrong he was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. That's also where you can find all of the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com slash 
Out of Water. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. I heard you trying to work your way through that list on Sunday, Sam. Yeah, I, I got lost. You got Apple, <laughs> Google thing, wherever podcasts are. Apple, right. Google, Spotify. Those are the three big places people get podcasts, and you can get Out of Water at any of those. Uh, we will be back next week with another in the series. He gave us stories, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.